welcome, welcome. Welcome to The Remix, the video podcast that keeps you in the mix of everything real estate. I'm Noel Freisen. And I'm Eric Anderson. And today we're going to talk about passive real estate from someone who bought their first rental property when they were 21 years old. Yes. We have Chris Larson. He is the founder and principal of Next Level Income. So Chris began his real estate investing at 20 years old, and then he went for 21 years old, right? And then he went from there to expand into development, private lending, buying distressed debt, as well as commercial and industrial properties and multifamily. Um, so he began syndication, syndicating deals in 2016, and he's been actively involved in over a billion dollars of real estate acquisitions. That's Chris, a big number, Chris. I like that B word. We're driving. We're driving it up. We're going towards two. So yeah. Oh my gosh! I don't know if we can have you here if you're going towards two. <laughs> well, welcome. You may be welcome. too big for this podcast, but we're happy to have you. So let's jump right in. So tell tell us about next level income. Yeah. So um, next level income was founded. Really, the website we founded to curate information to help people become financially independent. So it's really, if you look up today on the website, our mission is to help you achieve financial independence through education and opportunities. So Noel, I know in the intro, thank you uh, for that wonderful intro. You talked about you know some of the investments, the syndications we do, but we believe that it starts with education. And you know we, we have a lot of free stuff up there. We have our podcast up there. We have our blog. We have, uh, you can get a free copy of my book on there if you go on nextlevelincome.com and click on the book link. Um, and we also have we have a course now. We have all kinds of different resources to help you do that. So that's really what Next Level Income, uh, how it started, Eric. Yes. How did it start? When did it start? You know, you bought your first property at 21, which we want to hear about. But when did you start Next Level Income? How many years after you bought your first property? I had to make all the mistakes myself. So I bought my first residential property at 21, um, continued to buy properties every year, and then uh, managed, managed a residential property. I spent 18 years in the medical device space. So if you're listening and you're a, a commissioned salesperson, I, I spent most of my career on, on full commission. Um, so I'm very familiar with kind of like the highs and lows and the ups and downs, um, but wouldn't have, there's any no, low, there's no lows to full commission. Come on. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, but I will take that. I will take that unlimited ceiling to, uh, to, to hit the floor every now and then that's for sure. Um, yeah. So initially, Eric, I just started off. I wanted to just pay off those properties I had. And I was like, I'll be financially independent by the time I'm about 35 if I do that. But along the way, I, I got a little frustrated. I got frustrated with management of the residential side. I got frustrated with the returns I was getting. And we converted about 10 years ago to commercial real estate as investors. And then you know, we started syndicating deals in 2016. And after we started doing that, people would reach out to me. They'd say, hey, Chris, you know, they have a question like, how did you do this? How did you do that? Not as an investor, but just as you know, to get to the point where they could invest. Um, or maybe they wanted to do a deal themselves. You know, they wanted to buy, um, and maybe they wanted to buy a fixer-upper. They wanted to do uh, you know, a, a burr. They wanted to do a house hack or a short-term rental. You know, so I'd take a phone call. I'd send an email. And you know, that happened every week or so. And then it was every other day. And then it was every day. It was the same questions. I was cutting and pasting. I was like, well, this is silly. We need to curate this information. So in uh, we started uh, the website and the podcast uh, at the end of 2018. 
and you know launched the podcast in earnest at the beginning of 2019. Um, and that's really where we got our start. And we just we continue to grow from here. We're at 160 some episodes and um, awesome. we're going to we're going to continue to push. It's great to have a podcast and get all that information out to people. I think that education is really the way to to get into a, a career like real estate. And um, we've been so successful in it and we love teaching people about it. So why 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 21? Why your first rental property? Um what were you, because obviously at 21, you probably were not doing medical sales yet. So you probably did the real estate before medical sales. So why did you not stay in real estate? Like, give us that part of it. Great question. Great question. What do you mean? Why didn't I stay in real estate? I'm still in real estate. Well, yeah, but you went into medical sales. <laughs> like why, why, yeah. Why did you taint yourself with medical sales? <laughs> so I, I started off and actually, Noel, you're right. When I was 20 years old, I was trading in the stock market. So I actually was an investor at 20. So you've always been adventurous. Yeah. I, I used to race bicycles and raft to the Grand Canyon for, we're always, we're always looking for, for the next adventure for sure. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, as a, as a junior in college, day trading in the stock market, I was making about $1,000 a week, but I wasn't sleeping a lot. I was stressed out and I'm laying in bed one morning at 3 a.m. I'm thinking like, this is not investing. Like, I don't want to be doing this for the next 20 years. Like, this is crazy. So I just started reading. I read a, a book every week. I read and read and read, read over 250 books. Actually ended up getting an MBA in finance and portfolio management. And during that process, as I learned more about real estate, I said, hey, I can control the entry price. I can control the value in some cases. I get these great tax benefits. And for a college kid, you know, with $3,000, I bought my first property. Now, I bought another property the following year, another property the following year, but I ran out of capital. So you run out of capital, you run out of um, financing options. So I was like, well, I'll just, I read Rich Dad Porta. He said, you need to become accredited. So Eric, I thought if I can get a high income sales career going, that was the fastest way for me to become accredited, continue to be able to invest in real estate, but also have access to these other exclusive investments that, that Robert Kiyosaki talked about in his book. You know what, Chris, it amazes me how many people that I look up to have really started their career based on rich dad, poor dad. I guess Eric, I'm one of those. Yes, right? you are totally one of them. Eric is one of those people who talks about when he was young, he read rich dad, poor dad. Guys out there, if you're starting out, just download it audible. Just listen to it as you drive. It really is a game changer. Gives you the big perspective. The concepts are phenomenal. And, and that really speaks to you know, how I saw myself and, and really answers this question, which is I was an investor. I was an investor first. And then I just went and, and quote unquote, got a job so that I could continue to invest. But I always saw myself as an investor and my, you're right, Eric, like my biz, my quote unquote business wasn't investing at the time. You know, that's what I was doing to become financially independent. But then over time, you know, we start, you know, as people started to say, well, what do you do? And they wanted to get involved with the deals we were doing. You know, we saw an opportunity to, you know, not only find better deals for ourselves, but also provide opportunities for other investors uh, to come in alongside of us as well. Awesome. So did you learn anything from medical sales to, to help you in the real estate world? And would you recommend others to go into medical sales to help them with real estate? Yeah. So, I think the first the first question is like, why did I go into medical sales? And actually, I learned some things uh, that really helped me in my real estate journey. One was um, I read a book 
I read a couple different books. Um, uh, Harry S. Dent wrote some books talking about demographics. Um, I, th I think the Millionaire Next Door also talked some about demographics and like you know go where go where affluent people are if you want to make money. It's great advice if you're in any type of sales, right? You know, go go where the money is. You, know, you guys live in a very high income uh, area of the country. It's a great place to start a career, in my opinion. So I said, all right, what career can I go into that has favorable demographics? Medical, baby boomers, most affluent generation in history, having more surgery than anybody in history. They want to stay active. Orthopedic surgery specifically. Orthopedic and spine surgery is what I went into. And then I, when I learned about multifamily real estate, I was like, wait, the demographic trends really support this area. So I'm still a demographic investor. That's that's how I how I develop my initial part of any investment thesis or any investment strategy that I do today. Uh, the other piece, Eric, is you know, and I work with a lot of investors. Um, I think you know it's it's important to be humble, to always like be learning and and to kind of question assumptions, which I learned as an engineer. But I work mostly I work with orthopedic spine surgeons and neurosurgeons. So these are literally geniuses that I'm I'm sure. working with every day, and they all have money. They all have money. Oh, there, there you go. yeah, yeah. That's that's a that wasn't my point, but that's a great point. Um, yeah. So you have to learn to you have to you have to do your research. You have to understand very well what you're going into, and and you have to realize that you know you're not the most important person in the room. So that helps a lot when we're working with investors. But the other thing is, um, my job and my team's uh, job was to make sure that the equipment was there for the surgeons, but really for the patients every day. And inevitably something goes wrong, right? Something would happen. There would be, we'd have to sterilize the insurance. Maybe the instruments or the implants didn't get there in time. Maybe there was an issue with sterilization. Um, maybe something got dropped, right? Maybe um, the patient was a different size than you thought they were going to be outside of kind of like the bell curve that you needed. So we had to have a plan A, we had to have a plan A, plan B. We had to have a plan C. And I like to call, you know, what is your shit hits the fan plan? And sure. <laughs> this is important if you're in sales or if you're in real estate, you say, okay, what happens when something goes wrong? Right? Like we need to always be thinking about that. And, you know, that's why, you know, we like to buy value add properties because they're cash flow positive. We like to maintain reasonable debt, reasonable reserves. It's like, okay, we want to make sure that we have a backup plan, a backup to the backup. And, you know, ultimately a, uh, you know, what hits the, hits the fan plan as well. So with uh, on that sort of vein of shit hitting the fan, right? What are some of the most common mistakes that you've seen people make when they're starting out and in investing? Great question. What, what are, what are things, what are things people are doing wrong and what is their S H T F plan? I gotta, we gotta, I gotta write that down because that's that's the first time somebody's ever ever verbalized it like that. Noel, I love that. Um, so the first thing is, yeah, you gotta, you have to find a way to learn what you don't know, right? So the problem is, investors, when you're starting out, and maybe you're listening, you're like, hey, I'm interested in commercial real estate, but I don't, I don't know a lot. So what do you look at? You look at the returns. How oh, does this deal have good returns? That is the last thing you should worry about. You need to formulate an investment strategy. You need to talk to the sponsor, the operator that's in there. If you're the operator, if if you maybe have some weaknesses, you have to bring somebody on your team to help fill those holes. But that's the thing. It's like we invert the investment process if we're if we don't have knowledge. And that's why we have 
inside of our course, we have a deal analyzer, which is actually, you can get it outside of the course too, but we, we give you all those qualitative questions that you can ask. So you can learn what you don't know, because if you call me and start asking about a deal, but you don't know what the questions you ask, you're not going to get the information you need. So you don't, you don't believe in jumping right in. You believe in taking a course first. Yeah. Or, or finding somebody that's done it before. Right. So if, if Eric has invested and Noel is invested and you know them, you say, well, Hey guys, what have you learned? What questions would you ask? Right. And the best investors I have, some people would say, Oh, that's annoying. They come and they ask you 20 questions on your first 30 minute phone call. I love that. I love that because it means I have an informed investor and going back, like you said, you all said, which is you start with education the more educated you are, the more comfortable you are with the process, you know, that means there's going to be less questions in the future. And that, that gets us on the same page first. So that's, that's very important. Or they understand the risks better and they understand what your challenges will be. So it'll be less of a challenge for you. Exactly. It makes, makes tons of sense to do that. What would, what would you say your biggest project has ever been single project to date um, that you've, pooled investors together and, and, and done. Yes, we did. Uh, we did a, I think we officially closed in January of 2022 and it was North of a hundred million dollar project in Florida. So it's about a 300 unit, uh, property down there. It was a mix between apartments and townhouses. Um, wow. that was a big deal. So value add, of course. Um, so it's a light value add. It's a class A property on the newer side. And, you know, value add comes in a couple different ways, right? It can come from increasing revenues. It can come from improving operations or operational costs. And when you have a property that's a, that's a class A or luxury property, your cap rates are lower. So your multiplier is higher. So if you have a, a cap rate that's 10 and you add $1 to revenue on an annualized basis, you're going to increase the value 10 times. So uh, hundred divided by, by 10 or one divided by 10%. If you have a cap rate that's 4%, then that multiplier is going to be 25 times. So we do things like add internet. So we become the internet provider that allows us to capture, say, $75 per unit that we might not have. Uh, we add technology package, which might be $15 or $20 a month. Not a significant amount of money when, you know, right. on, a, on an individual basis, but 300 units, it adds up. We do dog yards. So you know, typically, you can charge more the higher up you go in a property as far as uh, on floors. You know, like floor three is going to be more expensive than floor two, you know, the people above you. But hey, if we add dog yards to, floor, to the first floor, they become more valuable. And may, you may be able to charge, say, $150 more per month because somebody has a private yard that they can let their dog out in. So these are, you know, if you get creative, if you, if you focus on these small things, they can add, uh, you know, they can add significant value um, to these properties. Is that a typical direction for you? Is that your, your choice to go with something that has more, more <clears throat> like amenity add-ons? Or do you prefer the, the value add where you're retrofitting all the, the units, kicking out tenants, um, restructuring, you know, what, what's your, pre what's your preference? Where do you, where do you make more money? Good question. So we never kicked out tenants for the record. Um, but it, it all depends where you are in the real estate cycle. And I talk about this in episode 100, conveniently, uh, 100 of my podcast. And I talk about the 18 and a half year real estate cycle. And, mm -hmm. and when you're earlier on in the cycle, it's going to be more profitable to do value add because you're going to be able to buy properties at a lower valuation. And if you add, say, $10,000 per unit, you can add 50, say, $50,000 to the value. Um, of that unit on a, 
on a uh, on an income basis. Whereas when you get further on in the real estate cycle and we start to get closer towards a downturn, during downturns like we saw in 2020, which I talked about in 2019, by the way, I said, I think we're going to have a downturn. I didn't predict COVID for the record, but historically this, is, this has happened every 18 and a half years going back to 1850 in this country. So it's, it, it just repeats itself pretty reliably. Later on in the cycle, higher quality properties tend to do better. They tend to do better. So we've gotten, we started in the value add space 10 years ago, and now we've gravitated more towards these higher quality properties. And, you know, as, as loan to values have changed as well, um, it's a lot more expensive and you have to have a lot more capital. And that really pushes your, um, really pushes your, your returns down because if you have to vacate 10 or 20% of the units and you're dumping a lot of capital and not only is that, is that, can that be risky, but you can't raise rents like you could five years ago. There's just not as much room, especially in, you know, workforce housing, for instance. So with that higher valued asset, um, you're not worried about market changes where the value will go down just because the market goes down. You know, whereas when you do a value add, it's just you just building in such a huge chunk of work that it, it kind of protects you when the market goes down. So that's a great question. So commercial properties are based on income, right? So mm -hmm. it and it depends on the market. So we're always concerned about, hey, where, where, where are the markets going? I can say on average now this has changed a little bit here over the past month, but on average over the last year, rents have actually gone down across the country. They've gone down in none of the none of the cities where we own properties. They've actually gone up on average, in some cases, double digits in those markets. So um, real estate is is highly dependent on the area. And that goes back to demographics. So if you're in Florida, like we are in Texas and the Carolinas and in Georgia, um, you have a tremendous amount of people moving to those areas and rents are still generally affordable. So, you know, we might not be getting 20% rent increases, but if we can get three, four, 5%, we can still hit our investment investor return metrics with those. So yes, if you do a value add property, there is potentially baked in value that you get with that, Eric. But if you spend $10,000 per unit on 200 units, but you can only increase rents $25 because rents are already so high, sure. you can't, yeah, you can't recoup that. So while it may Absolutely. seem like you're baking in value, if you can't increase the rents, the, the prospective buyer won't pay more anyway. Well, then how do you or how would you tell a, a newer investor how to assess deals to see if they're lucrative or not? Great question. Yeah. So again, that's why we have, that's why I have the spreadsheet I talk about in my book. So if you want to get a free copy of our book, I walk through our strategy and our process in there. So nextlevelincome.com forward slash book, you can get a free copy sent to you if you put your address in there, but that's a great question, Noel. So you need to say, okay, you know, it's, you start with the beginning. So you have to start with these questions. Are people moving to the area? What, what price are you paying? Are you paying you know, at below replacement costs, are you paying above what the market is? What are current rents? What are your assumptions based on rent increases? So if you assume you can increase rents, what we have historically over the last, say, three years, and somebody's assuming, hey, I'm going to increase rents 10% annually, that ain't going to fly in my opinion. You know, if, if somebody says, hey, we expect them to increase below what we're seeing today, maybe two, 3% on an annualized basis, 
to me, that's a better assumption. So you need to know those questions to ask um, with respect to that break even occupancy, what the, what the financing is. So what type of financing that they have, what loan to value is, is it floating rate debt? If it is floating rate debt, do they have interest rate caps to kind of simulate a fixed rate? These are all great questions. And then again, I got, I got two dozen well, more. Where there. do you find all this information? How do you keep up with trends? How do you keep up with the demographics? Where do you go to find these demographics? If I wanted to do my own research, where would I start? Yeah. Um, so you can go to like, say, for instance, Marcus and Millichap. I, mm -hmm. I have this here sitting here, the 2023 multifamily national investment forecast. Like you can go to their website. There's a lot of free stuff on that website. This literally walks you through all the all the metrics, all the details. This would be a great place to start for, for any investor. Um, and then, you know, you can just, you know, there's a lot of different websites where I comb different information, but it, it depends on what you're specifically looking for. But like, that's a great place to start would be something like Marcus and Millichap and doing that. So I see that you also have um, dealt with private lending. Are you a private lender as well? So yes, we have a debt fund and we lend actually specifically to fix and flippers on the residential side. Okay. So how did, what made you get into this debt fund? And obviously was that something you developed because you felt that you needed money? So you went out and started raising money to lend to yourself and then you just expanded upon it or is it something you targeted and said, I want to go into this business? Yeah, good question. So, uh, I started, um, 20, I think it was 2014. I have to go back and look at the exact date, but we started buying distressed debt. So we were buying debt, um, and, and working those, those loans out my, with, uh, my partner. Um, but then as the, you know, housing has become less affordable, lending's become harder, you know, a lot of fix and flippers and our partner, um, they have uh, underwriting background. They were a mortgage lender. So uh, they were also fix and flippers. So they have a great background in, in all these different things, but the market is still massive for entry level housing, you know? So a lot of, you know, if, if you look at our, our prof, we do a prof property profile every month and we've done over 200 million in loans, by the way, um, through this, but our average property profile is say like $300,000, $400,000. So where we are in the Southeast, that's a, that's an entry level home. So, you know, we landed around 60 to 65% loan to value on these. So really these borrowers have this need investors want consistent cash flow. So our investors in that fund, if they invest a hundred thousand or more, get an 8% annualized return paid monthly. So they're able to get consistent cash flow, And that, that is at a time where a lot of deals aren't paying those types of cash flows sure. on the larger side, just because interest rate increases and cap rates have gone down and those sorts of things. So let me ask, what do you charge your, your clients? Are you at 12%, 15%? Yeah. So there's a margin. Um, it's typically 12 to 14%. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I try to stay away from hard money lending, <laughs> but it's, sometimes it makes sense. Yeah. But our, I mean, I will say our average borrower, like our average loan term is less than 180 days. So, okay. you know, somebody is coming in, buying a house for say $300,000, putting in a hundred thousand and selling it for 500. So they're coming in and more than doubling their money in less right. than six months. So, you know, paying, you know, paying a 14% annualized interest rate, you know, when you're making a hundred percent is, is reasonable. And they have no other means of getting this done. So you're basically helping them. So, Oh, we can get, we can get them the money in like a week without you. There's no deal.
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So do you have um, lower rates for repeat customers? Um, we we have more flexibility with repeat customers, okay. um, but our rates are our rates are generally set. Okay, awesome. And then, is that a business that is which one of all these things that you do are your favorite? You like because I see also you're you're looking to get into some development, or you are in development now. Yeah, we do selective development, um, just depending on the markets and those sorts of things. Um, I could tell you which kid I love more. That's probably easier question to answer. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I mean, look, I. I got started in the multifamily space. The book's about multifamily. We have over 3,000 units. Like that, that is, I think, the demographic tailwinds that we have. We need over 4 million units over the next 10 years in this country. I think it's a, a real stable place. So is that why you say that multifamily is the holy grail of investing? <laughs> yes, yes. So I think, and now look, that may, that may change. I think we have to be conscious of these things. So, you know, if you look at when the book was written um, and that, but- um, we're always looking for other areas of opportunity, like we were just talking about with the debt fund, Eric, that are not only positive areas of opportunity, but also serve a need for investors. Okay. And and then back to back to multifamily for a second. So you're you're thinking that that's the way that are you are you like a long term hold type play, or do you ever sell any of your properties? And then in addition, would you recommend someone who's just starting out, would you recommend them to wait, hold of all their money and invest it, let's say in your syndication group, or would you recommend that they actually go out and try to get their own two or three unit building? Good question. So I think it depends. Like if you're, if, if you're a real estate professional and you, you're an agent and you have access to deals and you're comfortable doing those deals, like maybe you say, Hey, I'm a newer investor and I need a house to live in. So you can buy a house, you could fix it up yourself. You can get great, great financing for that. And you could sell it in two years tax-free. That's a, that's a great strategy. You know, you're going to, you, you should. And I said, you should, and you should like, you should do better if you choose that strategy. And you also should do better because you're actually being active, right. Versus investing with us, for instance. So I think you have to consider kind of where you are in your life. If you are or like a lot of our investors, let's say you're a surgeon making $750,000 a year and you love what you do and you're on call. Do you want to be swinging a hammer in your free time? No, you may hurt your hand and then you can't be a surgeon. <laughs> right. So you lose that money. There right. you go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you have to be conscious, you know, of, of those sorts of things um, for sure. Um, I'm sorry. The first question, Eric, well, are, do you, do you hold everything or do you ever sell any of the yeah. So our strategy, and again, I talk about this in the book, it's typically, you know, we hold for our target hold is three to seven years. Mm -hmm. And we do that because from a value add perspective, you know, let's say you get into a property and I'm being very conservative here. Let's say it takes you a year to figure out what's going on. We come in and we start day one, but if it takes you a year to figure out what's going on, it takes you a couple of years to implement your strategy. You're, you're three. And then you market the property. Now you're, if you're, you're three, you've implemented everything. Your income is now probably at a peak which means your valuation is at a peak. And then let's say you market that property. It takes you another year to sell it, which again is a very long period of time. And now you're at year four. So that's like three to five years, right? Um, I say seven because let's say there's a downturn in the market and you need to hold the property a little bit longer or it's not an optimal time to sell. Like right now is not an optimal time to transact in the multifamily market. So we're not seeing a lot of transaction volume this year. We're not buying a lot. We're not selling a lot. So if we we're going to sell something this year after say three years, we may hold it for another year or two to, to maximize that value. So would you sell because you're looking to trade up to something bigger? 
Would that be your main reason for selling? Yeah. So, um, so a couple different things. So investors may want, they may want their money back. So we give them a liquidity event so they can raise their hand and say, Hey, Chris, I'd like my money back. Um, we, we have historically, excuse me, one second. We have historically been able to offer a 1031 exchange to investors. So if you're unfamiliar with that, that's the opportunity to exchange your appreciated capital tax-free into another property and let it continue to grow. And I talk about how you can do that and, and the difference over 20 years that that makes in my book. Um, and then what's neat is the government says, if you 1031 exchange, 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 and you pass away, that money goes Onto your heirs, it, it, yep, I sell the zero. Saw the zero. It stepped zero. up value to your heirs. So not only did you not pay tax on those increases, neither do your heirs. That's why I don't. I don't know why everybody's not in real estate. The the rules <laughs> are are in favor of real estate. Phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I know it's hard to get into real estate. I know it's a lot of work, but it is rewarding. And um, I have this one older business partner that always tells me you're working so hard. And you're you're going to be okay, and you're going to make money, but your kids are going to just do phenomenal. So, <laughs> I, I like to say it's a it's a get rich slow, get rich slow. Yeah. So you know, if you start like we were early, Eric and uh, Noel, I don't know when when you started in the space, but when you start early, and the thing is, like, I still feel like I'm young. Like, I if I started today, I still think I'd be pretty young because if you're going to live to 100, 120, then. People are always saying that you should start when you're young. What is your advice for people who are starting in their 40s? They have two kids, they have a wife, they have a husband, and they want to get into it. Because we have a lot of people who are like, wait a minute, I should have started when I was 20 and I had no responsibilities, but now I have a crap ton of responsibilities, but I'm still ready to dive in. Yes. Okay. So I think... Uh we have some basic rules around, I call it the next level income strategy. And I mentioned this earlier, make, keep and grow your money. So number one, you need to get to a point where you're making enough money to save 50%. So if you're living on hundred grand a year, you know, you're going to have to make enough after tax to save hundred grand a year. Okay. Cause that's, that's 50%, right? So if, if you're like, that's crazy, Chris, I can't, there's no way I could save 50%. You need to make more money. It's as simple as that. And for anybody that says, oh, I can't like, I, I can't make any more money in the position I'm in, drive an Uber, start a business, do fix and flips on the side with real estate. Oh, I don't have the capital to do it. Get a partner. I mean, there, look, you can, you can sit and make excuses about how old you are, or how young you are, or how little you make or how much time you work. But if you're, if you're t talking about why you can't do something, you're not looking for the solution to how you can do something. Exactly. And Eric, this, thank you for this goes back. Can I get an amen? This goes back to the, so the med device. Space. Amen. He did. Amen. amen. <laughs> you said, yeah, you, you said, yeah, exactly. But, um, no, this goes back to the med device space because as a rep, if for anybody that knows the business, just like real estate agents, we're at the bottom rung, right? Like if something goes wrong, it's our fault. And you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, okay. You may have not quote unquote, done anything wrong, but you didn't have the solution at the time. And that's where you went wrong if something happened. So as service people, we need to find those solutions. And it's the same thing. If you're trying to figure out how to become an investor, just start looking for solutions. Decide what you want. Write down your three-year vision that we talk about in the course. Figure out what you want your life to look like. Find the resources to put a plan in place and then just start doing it. And if somebody's holding you back, 
get them out of your life. You don't need that negative energy in your life. I'm dead serious. You know, it's time for that divorce. <laughs> if you have children like I do, get rid of them. <laughs> get said, rid, of, get them. rid of the children. <laughs> Cut them. No. no, they're my, they're my motivation. But if, if one of, if one of their children is a bad influence, right. If, and I could talk about you know all kinds of different bad influences, but if they're a bad influence, you say, Hey, you can't hang out with that kid, yes. you know? So you got to apply the same rules to your own life. If you have somebody that's not pushing you in a positive direction, where you want to go with your three life vision, then you, you need, you don't have to cut them out, but you need to spend more time with those people. They're going to help you slowly decrease your, your contact with that person So until they're gone. I want to, we're going to, we're going to wrap up, but I want to, I want you to bring out your crystal ball. And you said you predicted 2020 and 2019. So can you predict 2024 for me right now? What's going to happen? What is the, what's happening next year? Okay. So from, from a macro perspective. So if you look at again, historically, and this is recorded, I'm going on the record, happy, happy to do that. I believe that we have another two good years in the real estate market. So I think the market's going to stay buoyant. I look at the the lack of inventory. You know, if you go back, you know, 18, 19 years, even when rates were higher, prices still went up. There's still good transaction volumes. I was saying this, by the way, six months ago. And if you read like John Burns or any of these news sources out there, they were talking about how the market's going to crash. What did John Burns say last month? Surprisingly, the market's the market's doing very well. And we can see this historically. Um, sure. I think uh, I think rates are going to be a challenge going forward, because if the economy stays, you know, healthy, then the Fed is going to want to have something in their back pocket to do that. And I think to me, the areas that are going to outperform, not only in the next few years, but also during the next downturn are going to be what I would call operational real estate. So short-term rentals, um, like we, we do car washes because you have that additional lever. And then I think kind of the, the sleeper here over the next decade is senior housing. Mm. Mm. Well, there's a lot of people getting old, including me. <laughs> a lot. We're all getting older, but yeah, we're, it's going to be it's going to be a real crisis in terms of we just don't have enough senior housing. And for anybody that's in that space, if you've gone and looked and you see, oh, it's seven fifty or a million dollars just to enter one of these, you know, independent right. living facilities, and then you got to pay five grand a month on top of it. That's that's, that's the canary in the coal mine. Wonderful. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, I, I'm not ready to build a senior living complex, but uh, <laughs> I just put my mom in one, so I get the price yeah, points. I, I totally get. It. Oh yeah, you know, man, you know yeah, it's I'm it's crazy. It, but, it's crazy, but but I think look, residential the the air the challenges in the residential space specifically inventory. We don't have enough to sell. People sure, don't right. want to sell their house, so they're not moving into a new house because they're they're not selling something. Um, rates make it make it less affordable. So that's good for build to rent. Or if you have, if you have residential properties and you're renting, I think that market's going to stay buoyant. Um, you know, even today, today is what, uh, July 26th. Then we're waiting for two o'clock to find out if the feds are going to raise the interest rates. I gotta go check that out. Yeah. yeah. Well, CPI, you know, CPI is down under 4%. So it'll be interesting to see, um, if they continue to push that up or not, but they, you know, unfortunately the fed, Typically, they undershoot and then overshoot, and they they start too late and then they go too far. Um, Nobody's perfect, <laughs> except for Noel. Yeah, I try. Practically perfect in every way. So, Chris, how how do we find you? Tell tell yes. 
<laughs> tell our viewers how to find you. What's your website? How do we find you? Um, give us some info. Yeah. So nextlevelincome.com. You can get a free copy of our book there. You can check out our podcast, our blog, all our free resources. If you want to learn about our investment options, you can click on the invest link and schedule a call with our team. Uh, if you'd like to get a copy of the course or the deal analyzer, write down the code next level, next level, all one word, and you'll get $500 off the course and you'll get um, a discount on the on the deal analyzer if you just want to get that a la carte as well Wonderful. awesome and that discount is for our viewers five hundred dollars yes. off if you take advantage of of chris's course and chris's course is going to bring you to the next level okay so remember at the center for real estate education and the remix podcast we teach you how to get to the next level yep well thank you chris it's been a blast. Thank you, guys. Oh, I keep on. Oh, I am so bad at this, guys. I get so into what we're talking about. But subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Press that button. You can find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. You can go to our website, recareercenter.com. So, and we have a lot of big things coming up for the fall. So, if you are ready to jump in and really get to speak, in some one-on-one -on -one time with Eric or Omar or Nima or myself, you'll be able to coming up this fall. So it's going to be really exciting. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks again, Chris. Thanks, we'll talk Chris. to you soon. We look forward to hearing all about your next level of success.